Welcome to the Wonder Grab Coffee Podcast. In today's episode, Igor and I discuss the recent November 2020 Apple event. We talk about Apple's strategy playbook as it relates to their long-term goals and what innovations most excite us heading into 2021. Finally, we discuss Apple's long-term growth prospects given macro events like COVID and how they are adapting with the big technology bets they are making. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and reach out anytime at hello at wondergrabcoffee.com. Hey, Igor, how's it going? Hey, what's going on, Robert? I, I didn't think we'd be back here so soon. I didn't either. I'm kind of surprised, actually. Apple pulled the old one more thing on us. We thought they were done after the iPhone keynote, but we got some some big Mac news, man. Some big Mac news. Uh, so some older Mac news, which is kind of still new, though. I did end up getting the Apple Watch 6, so I got that ordered for nice. Christmas. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to do, and I, I definitely want to talk about this in future episodes, but I have a bit of a concern around social media, the impact it has on kids, uh, watch the social dilemma with Diana and uh, have some concern there. And, and one thing that comes back to Apple that I really like is Apple makes products that makes tools. They make tools that sit there happily until you're ready to use them. And then it's just a matter of opting in and using that tool. It's not trying to vie for your attention and peel your eyes away from being present with your family or anything like that. It's they're there to serve you. And I, I do like that about Apple. And so one thing I'm going to do with the watch is have cell phone, my, my phone number forwarded to the watch and try to leave it in the car more, you know, things like that, where if I need to take a call, if I need to respond to a text for work, I'm still reachable on my wrist, uh, but I don't have the, the supercomputer AI in my pocket trying to get all my attention all the time. And I think the phone is, uh, the, the watch is a good way to do that in the Apple ecosystem because, you know, I was looking at the light phone. I was looking at some of these other options and they're just not great. And it would unplug iMessage and all these other things wouldn't work. So I'm really excited to see how the watch works uh, from like a phone connectivity, text messaging perspective. Yeah. Like a digital detox. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. From Cal Newport. And I, I think we're going to start that Diane and I sometime that's this awesome, year. Man. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Well, Tim Cook started this keynote by saying we've had three events in two months. And the Apple Watch event was one of those, right? So that was the kind of the iPad, Apple Watch one. And now I guess they're shipping. Yep. And people, people like Robert can order them in time for Christmas. That's right. And I think what's cool, right, is also Apple Fitness is coming which is kind of the on-demand fitness videos, which are, I think, very, very timely when you can't, when you can't go out to the gym. So I think that's very cool. Yesterday, I just, uh, they didn't talk about it at all at this event, uh, but they flipped the switch. And now you can sign up for Apple One, which is the service bundle uh, for all the Apple stuff. They didn't mention it at all. I mean, not surprising, it was a Mac event, uh, but I went ahead and I signed up for that. You know, it's pretty good value considering you're getting a lot of the core stuff, but you don't get the fitness stuff with it. I think the fitness one, the package with the fitness uh, stuff is 30 bucks a month, something like that. Something dawned on me, Robert, last time I was pretty critical of other organizations not taking advantage of the lemons that have been presented to them and maybe not taking stuff nearly as far as, as Apple has. And then as I was watching this keynote, in the opening, you know, it opens up to this kind of multicolored background 
behind the Apple campus, Apple Park. And then I realized that Apple probably has built the most expensive video set on the face of the planet because they're not using Apple Park probably for anything else or not a lot of stuff, right? And it's $5 billion to, to build that thing. And so they definitely have a very cool setting that a lot of other uh, organizations obviously you know, don't have a $5 billion stage set that they can use to, to do all their cool shots. Yes, <laughs> you're definitely right there. So let's jump into the event. Uh, what, what are your initial impressions? They talked about in uh, the Worldwide Developer Conference that happened earlier this year, which was the first virtual event that they did. They talked about system on a chip. They call them Apple SOCs. And I actually don't know, didn't know what that meant. And I, I really just thought that was you know maybe a more advanced CPU or something like that. And it wasn't until I watched this keynote that I, it started to become a little bit more clear to me what system on a chip means. The whole system's on the chip, right? I mean, I should have known. But it's the CPU, the GPU, um, other sort of controllers, the I.O. controllers, the secure enclave. And also, interestingly enough, the, the RAM is all built into this chip. And they just kind of layer those things like a chip sandwich, right? And, and it's all in that one unit. And we've obviously been using these SOCs on our phones and our iPads, but not in our computers. And so it's a, it's a big, big shift. And um, I'm not sure what to think about it. How, how do you feel about it, Robert? It's definitely something to be excited about. I think the proof will be in the pudding when it comes to their higher end machines. We talked about this, right? So new chip, the M1, looks really good on the MacBook Air I think there's some really good opportunities for the iPad and the iPhone, those kind of things. And also the interconnectedness that that will create as far as an experience for using different Apple products at different times. It's, I think that's going to be great. What I'm not sure about, though, is how it's going to work on some of the higher end systems like the business class, performance class. If you're editing videos, if you're writing code, if you have one of the beefier MacBooks uh, or iMacs, what's that going to do? to your productivity because it seems really cool on these lower end. I think it makes sense that they released at that, at sort of that range. What's going to happen next though, I think is really what I'm interested in. Yeah. You know, the, the MacBook air I think is the sweet spot for this sort of chip because the M one, I think is really just a continuation of the a series chips that they've been putting into iPads and the MacBook air is very close kin to, to like an iPad pro, for example. So it really made a lot of sense for, the M1 to be in that computer, once you start putting that even into the Mac mini and into the MacBook Pro, you know, I'm curious to see if that's, if that's the right sort of move because you may want more juice out of it. You may want more than 16 gigs of memory uh, out of those machines, especially if you're doing uh, more advanced things like video editing or 3D work. And I know they showed that stuff, right? They showed like DaVinci Resolve and they showed Final Cut Pro and they showed um, Cinema 4D working on all of these machines. And, um, you know, they seem to be, you know, fast, but that's all marketing video. You know, I'm curious to see once you actually load your, all your stuff into, into your software, if it can actually uh, feel as brisk as they made it seem in the keynote. Yeah, definitely. But to be fair to the MacBook Air, the way that it was released this month, it, I finally saw one where I was like, okay, I could actually use the MacBook Air for work. 
most of the time. I could carry that thing around, uh, try to do that with an iPad occasionally anyway. I don't feel like I need the MacBook Pro 13-inch or 15-inch. So that that was kind of nice. Like I think you're right. That is a sweet spot there. The 13-inch, though, was a little bit surprising that they went there as well with this first generation of the M1 chip. And I have similar concerns, but I'm wondering if the closed system, if the new sort of uh, memory address architecture, if all of those things together and the fact that it is that closed system really will help eke out the performance that you're talking about uh, and what you build on Mac is specifically compiled to run on this hardware I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to see how that goes. The plan is, I think they mentioned this in the keynote pretty lightly, but it's for all the Macs to transition to Apple Silicon by the end of two years. And that includes Mac Pros, which are big, beefy machines. And um, anyway, really, really curious. There's a lot of interesting stuff that's happening on the software side, too, and and how the software will will adapt. My Robert, you know, you're you're known for your humor. And as I thought of you as I was watching the video, the the keynote, there's a point where Craig Federighi, he's uh talking about the software because they also released Big Sur, which is the latest version of Mac OS X. There's a scene where he like dims the lights. Yes. <laughs> and Barry White starts playing. That's and he right. slowly like opens the computer and the glow uh sort of overtakes him. And, uh, and I was like, that's a very Robert Griner sort of, sort of moment. And it's hard to pull off humor. I mean, when's the last yeah. time you really saw a senior executive giving a big product keynote and they really just nailed like a funny, funny skit like that, right? I mean, that's, that's dangerous territory as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And the funny thing is, so I was watching the event with Diana and we're polar opposites in a lot of ways, but one thing is we have the exact same sense of humor which is great because if humor is what I'm best at, then I, I like that she has the same sense of humor as me. And I remember us just cracking up at that part. And also when they go from Tim Cook to the first guy, John might be his name, I think. And they're just going down all those floors of different colored like levels of the basement and John's way at the bottom. And as it's going, Diana's like, where do they keep John? Like this is, <laughs> they can't let him out occasionally. So yeah, there was a, a little bit of humor there, but again, the polish the precision, handing off actual like presentation to different people. Everyone had really good talking points. Uh, I thought it was a extremely well executed event. Yeah, you really you really got to keep those hardware people as far underground as possible. You know, everybody everybody knows that. You, you talked about like the marketing and the presentation. One of the things that I started, I don't remember when I noticed it. I should go back and see when they started doing it. Um, but I call them these product placemats. When I say that, do you know what I'm talking about? No, why don't you lay it out for me? Yeah, yeah. So as as they're unveiling uh, the M1 or they're unveiling the MacBook Air, there's a slide that comes up. And the slide has all these little like boxes on it. And each box says, you know, 2x battery performance and, you know, new signal processing for the camera. But it's this one sheet of paper. It's like a little placemat that has all the big talking points for that product laid out on it. And it's, you know, very graphically engaging. And it's, and it's something that you just, you know, you have up on the screen that really summarizes um, what the product key features are. And what I noticed is that a lot of 
people who cover Apple events end up using that placemat in their videos or in their materials, right? They'll, they'll throw that up as uh, a background for when they're talking about and doing analysis on it. I thought that's such a smart, smart thing to do. And so I'm, I'm definitely going to steal that for myself as I put up presentations, you know, think about what the product placemat could be for some of the things that I work on. I, I really like that part of the, the, the deck, if you still want to call it that. That is an interesting point. I, I like that. One other thing I wanted to talk to you about as well is we've been talking about the book, How to Win, which is about strategy. And if you think about Apple's strategy here, winning aspiration, you know, why they exist, guiding aspirations, that seems to be clear. Where will you play also seems to be clear based on the products that they're building, things like that. How to Win, we're obviously building these premier interconnected products and services that just work in, a, in an entire ecosystem. The management systems, they that's the bottom one. I skipped one. I skipped capabilities. I want to come back to in a minute. Very clear that their entire value chain is, is tightened up. They're being really bold, pushing out a lot of productivity in a time where it would be very easy to take your foot off the gas and phone it in a little bit. So I get all of those components of this sort of strategy playbook that's outlined in how to win. What I don't fully understand is capabilities around the chip, like you said. So did, did you read anywhere like this new Apple Silicon? Can you run Windows on it? Can you use Bootcamp and, and boot natively into Windows like you could before? You can't, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a risk arm chip. It's not an x86 chip. And so if you're going to be running Windows on it, or even most Mac app applications that exist today, you're going to be running them uh, emulated. And so um, Apple created their newest version of Rosetta, which is their kind of translator emulation layer. And so uh, as far as I know, you cannot, you can know, there's no longer any boot, boot camp, you know, because we have these x86 packs now. You can boot camp into Windows. And for all intents and purposes, you know, your machine thinks that it's a Windows machine. Uh, you know, that's no longer something that's uh, supported. It has to have an emulation layer in between. And you know, the claim is that the emulation layer is very efficient. And, and some, some of the claims were even, it's so good that the apps are even faster with emulation on the new chip. Like the new chip is so much more powerful, so much more efficient that some applications run faster even though they're being emulated rather than the non-emulated version on a non-Apple Silicon. I don't know how much I believe that, um, but, but that's what's happening. And it also gave them the ability to expand their library of apps because now you know, all, all the mobile apps have been written for ARM and RISC architecture, for the A chips, right? Those, those chips are the basis for the M chips in your laptop now. And so the Apple App Store is now available on your Mac which is a Cambrian explosion level event for software for the Mac, which is really interesting. You know, the question of how much of that, how much of the sort of mobile touch experience can translate well onto, you know, a laptop that doesn't have any touch capabilities beyond your, your touchpad. But it's pretty cool. One of the things that I saw on there <clears throat> was, um, and, and the executive from that company, from Shaper 3D, was, was in the keynote, and uh, Shaper 3D is a really cool, easy to use um, CAD program. 
computer aided drafting, I think is what CAD stands for. But it's where you can create industrial products or little architectural plans, things like that. And I've been using that on my iPad Pro. And now to be able to have a workflow where I can open up Shaper on my laptop or on my iMac when I need it, but then also have the ability to do a quick sketch on the CAD on my iPad Pro, it's really nice. So to have that level of seamless integration between your mobile uh, workflow and your desktop workflow, I think for some instances, it's going to be really useful. So you've touched on an, an analogy that I want to make here. That is of Windows Vista. You remember Windows Vista? Yes? I do remember Windows Vista. Okay, so you had XP, which was, by all intents and purposes, a great operating system. People liked it. Probably the best Windows operating system. Vista came out, and all your printers broke, and everything was just chaos. Not many people liked Vista. Then Windows 10 came out, and it's been largely appreciated, well-received. Not a lot of complaints about Windows 10. You, you, you spoke sort of uh, reminiscently about Windows XP, but Windows 10 is fine. But when, Windows 7 was great. Yeah, but Windows 7 came right after, that's what I meant. Yeah, Windows 7 came right after Vista. Yeah, it needs to be Windows 7. So Vista needed to be this transition layer between XP and 7 in order to get to 10, in order to get to the next evolution. And so when I look at the capability section of this strategy playbook, when I think about what you just said, where I can have a workflow that spans devices and operating systems, this M1 chip seems to be the first stepping stone in that transition layer that will ultimately 10 years from now lead to an ecosystem experience that we haven't we could we couldn't imagine right now. It's it's undoubtedly the the smart thing for Apple to do. Right? It's it's smart because it allows them to have this sort of software continuity across their entire device lineup. It also frees them sort of from the tyranny of Intel and x86 based, you know, processing and um th- there's a lot of benefits to Apple there's financial benefits, right? They don't have to pay uh, the licensing fees and R&D fees uh, for Intel, which, by the way, they're also still paying for their ARM risk R&D stuff that they do for themselves. Like they have to do R&D for their mobile devices, and now they're able to use that R&D budget <clears throat> and um, have it on all their platforms. It's a smart move from an economic standpoint. And the the question is, you know, are they are they going to be able to do the transition smoothly enough, where the consumers will uh, sort of go along. That's the question. Is this going to be a Windows Vista level catastrophe to get to some greater plane of existence that you just can't get to in a linear way? Because they're going all in on this chip. I mean, what, two years? Is that what we talked about? Every Mac? Yep. Two, yeah, two, year, two years for the whole, the whole lineup. Uh, Apple, Apple's in a good place because they've done this before. Right, they they were on the PowerPC chip for for the longest time. At some point, they made a transition to the x86. That transition wasn't without its its issues. But I think you know, there's probably enough people at Apple that were there for the PowerPC to x86 transition that have internalized the lessons that needed to be learned and are now able to go back and apply them as they make their transition from x86 to to Apple Silicon. Well, I hope so. We'll see. So before we wrap up, uh, two questions. One, what are you most excited about from 
this last event? And then two, what are you most excited about from the events uh, in 2020? There's a segment in the event where Craig brought on software makers. And really, these software makers created like Zoom videos. And the way that they were able to cut those videos together from all these disparate sources and produce like a really great advertisement from the perspective of their software vendors was really awesome. And I loved it because I'm a longtime fan of the company Panic. Do you know who Panic is, Robert? No. Panic, um, they make Coda, which is a um, IDE. And they also make Transmit, which is an FTP program. And they've been they've been making uh, Mac software for forever. So I'm a big fan of Panic. They've done an amazing job. They've been at the forefront of software design and just design in general. And I'm a big fan of Cable Sasser, who's the CEO of Panic. And so I think this may be the first time that I've seen Cable uh, included in an Apple event like this. And so when I saw Cable come up and um, and talk about what the what the move to M1 and Apple Silicon means for him and all the other folks. That was that was really that was a really cool moment and I also thought that you know anyone can do this, right? Anyone can have all these Zoom videos that come in and stitch them together and have like a really nice commercial uh, come out of it. So it was, it was a way for even if you don't have the budget and the 5 billion dollar campus and all those other things, you can still put together a very capable video. Uh, so, so that's the thing that was most exciting about <laughs> the, I'm not buying any of the Macs. I'm not buying a MacBook Air. I'm not, you know, and um, actually if they, if they had come out with an iMac with Apple Silicon, I would buy it because I'm just not in the market for a laptop. Um, and then for 2020, I still think the iPhone mini is the most interesting product that they've released because they're kind of going against the grain and releasing a smaller device, it's it started now to show up in people's hands, and uh, the reviews are coming in, and um, it's a it's a very uh, affordable entry point from a price perspective as well to the latest you know iPhone 12 performance. What what about what about you, Robert? Oh yeah, very much excited about the MacBook Air. It is in that sweet spot like we talked about, and I could very much see myself using it uh, at work at home. And I like the idea of just having a single device, maybe bringing it home, docking it, and then now it just lights up my my desktop setup and I just have one device for everything. And so I think that could be kind of interesting. For the 2020, I think the watch. I know they've had cellular, cellular watches before. Uh, I think, though, that this is a, a step forward in fitness tracking and what you can fit on the device, its capabilities, all the style around it. And so I'm really excited about maybe, like I mentioned earlier, leaving my phone somewhere and just still being connected if I'm needed, but not having to to worry about being distracted. Maybe it can be more present, more productive. And so I'm hoping that the Apple Watch helps me be more productive in 2021. We'll see. That's a really tall order, really big ask, but that's why I'm most excited about it. Uh, dude, I'm stoked to do a check-in with you and see... Uh, how your experiment is going as far as using the Apple Watch as like a diet version of, you know, getting what you need, but being disconnected enough where you're not being bombarded with all the 
things that you don't want to be bombarded with from you know social media perspective and everything else. So I, let's let's do a check in soon and uh, see how that's going. Maybe after the new year. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I forgot to mention too is I always keep my AirPods in my pocket. It's part of my everyday carry, and so having the AirPods, I pop those in for phone calls and things like that on the iPhone. So I think the I'm hoping the workflow of when I get a call, I can pull the AirPods out, put them in, answer the call on my on my watch. Verizon has all the number sharing and stuff, and so it, it'll be transparent to me to everyone else. So I'm hyper optimistic about it, but also wondering how good or bad it's going to work. So yeah, let's check in soon and and see how it goes. Hopefully, it goes well. That's awesome, Robert. These are fun. I, uh, you know, I know I love talking about Apple. I know you love talking about Apple. And, um, so it's really great that we're able to get together and, um, chat about it. One, one more question. Are you, are you, is this a buy for Apple? Like, is this, you know, I feel like every keynote is an opportunity to say buy, stay or sell for Apple. And so which, which of these is, was this last keynote for you? I think it's a buy uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I'm as I'm thinking about the technologies I want to have in my life, the Apple ecosystem is non-invasive and it works. I like the ecosystem. Their tools happily waiting for you to use them. And so I like that Apple is continuing to push in that direction. So it's something that I, I want to support personally. And also they're making a big bet on M1. And just like you said before, they've done it before. If anyone's going to be able to knock this out of the park, it's going to be Apple. So I would this was it would be more of a speculative buy that I could see this massive potential upside. There's also a lot of risk, but I think that if I was going to trust a company to pull something like this off, it would be Apple. So for those reasons, I'm a buy. What about you? I was probably a stay until our conversation just now. And and that stay got tipped into a buy because of something that you remarked on using that framework that we talked about, the playing to win framework. In three to four years, there's going to be a whole new way that you're going to be able to engage with the ecosystem in a consistent way. And I don't think that's currently priced into the Apple stock. And so that's that nudged me from a stay to a buy after after this keynote. Mm, awesome. I do like that. And I, I think that explosion of apps like you talked about is going to be a really big thing and I'm excited about the workflow. It is playing to win by the way. I think I said how to win now that I'm reflecting on the conversation, but uh yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes, man, but either way I'm excited about the watch. I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about talking about this stuff with you. Even normally like we said before, this would be done over coffee and so at least we can have these conversations occasionally. So thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks for spending time, Robert. Have a good weekend. All right, bud. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com.